Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, Mo, good morning. Uh, morning. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, gotta, gotta have the Joe. Mm. No doubt about it. It's, uh, yes. One is never early. Enough. Early in One the morning, early in the year, and we gotta be caffeinated in order to, to carry on, as they say. And uh, this particular episode, I, I have to give 100% of the credit to you coming up with the idea of taking a look at what we think might happen in the uh, calendar year 2022, and then going back after it towards the very end of the year and seeing if the predictions turned out to be true. So since we're primarily interested in, in scholarly works and research and uh, things like that, you know, I, I think that's the way I've combined my three predictions about what we're going to see in 2022. And perhaps uh, you have something slightly different, but let, let's just let's just do the format. You start and then I'll yeah. do one and then you do one and I'll do one. and Let's okay. go from there. So what's going to happen in 2022? Well, let me first begin by saying that anytime I watch someone predicting the future uh, on television, I look back and I laugh, think, you know, fools. They're never going to get it right. You just can't figure it out. So I completely understand that those listening in are going to have their own viewpoints on this, but let me provide context to you, Mark, and let me try to convince you that um, we are going to see a very, and we're already seeing it. So I think we're just, what we've been seeing, it's going to be accelerated is how we organize data and how we use data. So what we conventionally used to think as the hierarchy of evidence, which is, you know, you go from the observation to the case series, to the cohort study, to the penultimate randomized trial, and then the, you know, using multiple studies to do meta-analysis, that's kind of been what we would consider the standard approach, right? The convention. But you're seeing that ripped apart. You're seeing bigger and bigger data sets. We're starting to see most companies providing wearable technologies. We're starting to see virtual reality. We're starting to see all this other data that's coming uh, on board. And the question is, I think the word for 2022 will be algorithms. It's going to be how we create a set of rules to guard a series of calculations to help us solve complex problems. And the individual or groups that are able to mine this massive amount of data uh, across you know, all the different forms of data, whether it's user data, whether it's data from individual studies or data coming in from large administrative databases, wherever that's coming from. I think that is going to be um, a big part of where some of the new breakthroughs are going to be. People always say, you know, where's the next, what's the next thing? I don't know what the next thing is, but if you look even back three or four years, this wave has been coming and it's it's a tsunami now right data is the, is the tsunami it's the currency of of the century so for me it's going to be algorithms and however we frame that whether it's through ai machine learning but i do believe there's going to be a major push in that area that's a that's a great start and i certainly agree with that uh, we're seeing that in submissions etc but I, i've got uh, uh, this one doesn't count but it's uh, it's a little more personal because i know that you have spent a lot of time emphasizing balance in life and smelling the roses. And so I'm gonna predict that you're gonna set a personal record in every downhill mountain bike 
course that you take on this year and have the lowest score in Frisbee golf that you've ever had. So let's, uh, I'm going to come back to that at the end, but that's not one of my three. Okay. 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 I love that. So I'm thinking about uh, just submissions in the, in the broadest uh, sense. I am going to predict that we're going to see an enhanced number of submissions in rehabilitative strategies following whatever, uh, injury, surgical procedure, whatever, a focus on how we can get more precise in getting patients back to the highest level of function with whatever, physical therapy, modalities, return to sport formulas, et cetera. There's going to be an increasing emphasis on rehabilitative strategies uh, that we see submitted in 2022. So that that's my number one. I don't know whether you agree with that one. I fully, I fully do. In fact, you know, um, if if we can go back to one of our earlier uh, discussions, but we've talked, both of us have talked about hip fractures for many, many a decade. But you know, the big shift has been even in us doing the studies has been you know real innovation. And I say real meaning a meaningful impact. So you, you know, there'll be lots of trials done on hip fractures in the future, but I think the big impacts that we're going to see are going to be in the preoperative and postoperative arena, which is going to be not directly related to the type of implant we're using, maybe not even related to the specific surgical technique. I think it's going to be related to all the other things around that patient, all the other, um, you know, multidisciplinary inputs that we often, you know, don't always optimize. Um, that's, I think, is going to be a big part of, of care. So I think you're, um, I would be fully, fully in support of, of that. And I think that's a, that's a great, great uh, start to an important um, prediction. Okay, what's your number two? So this one really gets back to, I think, behavior. And I think, you know, looking, looking at, and, and this has been just been reflective. So if I look at what I would consider to be our generation, um, versus the generation born in the 80s, the millennials versus the, you know, the 95 and onward, which is the Gen Z, very, very different in terms of how we're approaching research, how we're approaching collecting data. But if you think of research as one example, it used to be historically that, you know, what you would do is you'd start off and you would go with the idea of, I will, you know, begin my, I'll, I'll get a job, I'll do, I'll put in my time from the time and I'll get my master's and I'll get my PhD. And you'll just kind of go through this linear process. And everything that's coming out, and I think particularly heightened in COVID, has been this concept of polywork, or I'm going to, I'm not going to do that route. I'm not going to wait 20 years to get this thing. Uh, I'm going to go right in on it. So why can't I start off uh, doing trials? Why can't I just start uh, collecting data on my own? And why can't I have all the insights I want without having to wait 10 years to get all these other degrees? I do think we're seeing a movement. Um, and our academic systems, I think, are going to have to adapt rapidly uh, to that. So whether it's all going to happen this year, I don't know. But I can tell you, um, we are seeing more and more of our future surgeon scientists really having, for lack of a better term, side hustles. They just know that they have many other things they're good at, and they're leveraging multiple things. So research, if we want research to become a really, really important side hustle, if we want journals to garner the best of the, you know, resident side hustles or the surgeon side hustles, we're going to have to, I think, adapt in a different way. I think we're going to see more and more, you know, I'd say right now, if you look at the, if you look at the, the general population, they say somewhere between one and two uh, individuals working 
feels that with the job they're in isn't ideal for them. So they're already thinking about switching. What's really fascinating about millennials in, in the Gen Z world is they're not even thinking about switching from, hey, I'll, I'll move from orthopedics to plastics or plastics to ortho. It's like, I will leave medicine altogether to pursue an entrepreneurship and something else. Like it is, I will leave the industry. That type of risk-taking and I almost you can say confidence is I think the mindset that we have to be thinking in research is how we're going to get research to also have, you know, build great ideas and, and do more things. And I think it's going to be more people not focusing on one topic, but I bet you if we look back and look at authors over time in the next year, we'll see many authors doing multiple things. In fact, involved in all kinds of different things because that their interests are kind of poly interested uh, in a way as well. So, you know, if, if we were to look back, I think we're going to see a greater variety of topics coming out, but more importantly, we're going to see single individuals investing in more than just one core focused area. They're going to branch out a lot more than they have, and we're going to see lots more of this. And I think the more we can um, find ways to um, encourage that uh, may yeah. lead to actually better breakthroughs for us in the field of uh, you know surgery and medicine. Yeah, that I, I again, I agree with you on that. Last night, I did a journal club uh, here with the Harvard residents, and one of the articles that we reviewed was on the, the generational uh, impact uh, in orthopedic education. And there was a robust discussion among the senior faculty and the young residents of, about differences uh, uh, in priorities, uh, in the way they think about the future, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a it, it is going to be less traditional, shall we say. And perhaps that word is going to be eliminated. Well, it's interesting. Okay, so see, see if these two sentences resonate with you, because they resonate with me a lot. It, whoever we call older generations, but I feel I'm part of it, the way they're speaking this particular quote. Older generations entered the working world with the expectation of a job for life, scaling up the career ladder within the same company. That's very much what, I mean, if I look at my own life, it's been, I've been at Mac. I'm a lifer at McMaster and I've just worked my way up, so to speak, over time and just said, you know, there's no, there's no race to the top. Look at the, those individuals that are born in the 80s and, you know, probably in the late 90s. They don't seek jobs for life, but roles which allow them not only to work flexibly, which is a big, big plus right now, but also obtain multiple roles with different industries. They're basically saying, if I'm good at something, why can't I, as a researcher, why do I have to work for a Mac? Why can't I work for five institutions and take my skill and work at five institutions a couple of days a week? And I get to, you know, and, and whatever I'm learning, I can, I can get from all those institutions. The concept of you're hired as a researcher for one institution versus five institutions hiring the same individual. I mean, that is what's happening in the workforce. Yep. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so we'll well let, let me, let me yeah. go to my number two. Uh, so yeah. We have uh, seen a trend, I would say, last 18 to 24 months in increasing submissions regarding the Im impact of patient characteristics in terms of mental health and personality on the in influence on surgical indications and outcomes and the ability to uh, comply with uh, post-intervention instructions, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to predict that that trend is really going to explode in 2022. Much more detailed analyses of patient mental health and personality characteristics impact on the whole process of care from the selection of a treatment intervention to the, the management of the post-intervention phase, et cetera. 
So I don't know if you agree with that one. Oh, well, again, another great choice. You know, uh, I can tell you that, you know, um, and it brings me back to uh, a collaborator of ours that we both worked with, um, but now has done lots of work in the area of pain and disability, Jason Bussa works at McMaster right now, but you know, he, he was involved in analyzing some of our flow data set, Mark. And you may recall that you know, when we did the flow trial, we had a couple of thousand patients with trauma. And there were multiple times where some of the outcomes weren't necessarily predicted. In other words, outcome, like, you know, everything went perfect, but you know, the outcome, the subjective outcome in the patient was very, very poor. But we had collected this tool he was developing called the SPOC, which is a somatic preoccupation uh, tool, which basically gets the point of, you know, what is your general perception about your, your condition and about life? Are you generally more optimistic or pessimistic? How are you feeling? That one particular score single-handedly just erased every other prior predictor of trauma outcome. And yeah. it was like an awakening in a way to us saying, wow, like we are, like we aren't capturing this. And the, the bigger issue became is, well, what do you do if someone has issues beforehand? Like you don't withhold treatment. So it raised, it raised not only issues of awareness, but also ethics, which I think probably is gonna be another big area of understanding how do we help uh, optimally those individuals in which the, you know, in which the predictor is nothing, you know, it's not something that it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's either a psychological predictor or a mental health predictor. But no, no, it's great. And I can see, I can totally see how that's been exacerbated in the last 18 months. Yeah, I've been telling the residents for the last past few years that they're going to, in the end, be as gifted or as, as, as preoccupied, I guess, with uh, social psychology as they are with uh, techniques uh, for orthopedic procedures in order to optimize patient outcomes. But So what's your third one, Mo? Well, I was going to say to you quickly is that you know, what we used to always be told are the quote soft skills. Well, you know, you've got to communicate better. You have to be able to understand people's, uh, you know, your patient's feelings and, and, you know, make sure you do shared decision-making. Those are all soft skills. When you realize that you do enough, it's hard. It, those are the hard skills. They are the absolute, very difficult quote, hard skills to pick up. So I think the direction is the right one. But um, further, uh, and my last point is, it's more of a, is a hope um, more than a, a prediction. But I hope that, individuals through the work that's happening also at the JBGS with your arts and humanities will have, you know, an awakening in 2022. I think there's been lots of awakenings happening um, in our, in our faculty, in our, in our membership, you know, that is the orthopedic fraternity worldwide. This idea of, you know, what happens when everything shuts down, what happens and what really matters in the end and how do we actually extract the most um, out of what we're here to do at the broadest level. So, you know, the context that I think, I hope we'll see more of is more uh, individuals opening up about the realities of how they are maximizing the skills that they have um, and following to a greater degree, quote some of their, I'll use the P word because it's, you know, the passion word, but maybe if it's not, maybe about following the areas that they, that they find of interest as a way to make themselves better and pull uh, in their day-to-day -day lives. Now, how do you actually, you, I, hope that happens. How would we test that in a year? I don't know. I'm hoping that the humanities section of the journal will start seeing more and more people. But I can tell you anecdotally that since the arts and humanities section has just come out, the number of personal emails that I get, and I get one about every other day with a picture of that section and saying, I made sure this is mandatory reading 
for my trainees. And we talked about this. And by the way, I'm picking up my guitar or as I, you know, I know a colleague of ours or I'm, you know, going back to uh, doing X or Y and Z. So I hope we'll see more stories like that, which I think will actually make our field even stronger and better. Yeah, well, I, I want to thank you again for your leadership in that whole area. And uh, you, you really have provided the orthopedic community with a great, with a great example. That, thus, my comment earlier about going fast downhill on a bicycle. and, and uh, Well, you see, the, the way to go fast, I think, if my, my physics serves me right, is just gain a lot of weight. So I'm just gaining <laughs> lots of weight because gravity will be my friend on the way down. I will not speak to anything else. I will not climb on a bike, but I will take a whatever, chairlift up and happily wee all the way down. It'll be fun. Uh, Newtonian we'll physics. <laughs> Newtonian physics as an eternal truth. Well, my last one is, is rather, uh, I guess, specific, but uh, yeah, I just read a, yesterday in JAMA, a, uh, a big cohort of uh, one-year outcomes following COVID with uh, younger age patients all the way to older age patients and 25% at one year having musculoskeletal aches, pains, or joint pain. And my prediction is we're going to understand the physiological basis behind what that's all about, the so-called long COVID uh, by the end of this year. We're gonna have a lot more information. We have a member of our editorial board, Kostas Melitsos, uh, from Greece, uh, who's particularly interested in this topic uh, and has uh, written an editorial. But I think we're going to know more about what that's about and hopefully how we can intervene uh, during rehabilitation, which gets to my first, I guess, prediction about how to how to prevent this. So, yeah, and I was I was a little deliberate to stay away from COVID because and not that I don't think it's going to be hugely important for us in 2022. It was more thinking about, okay, well, what would be the impact except, you know, for other potential waves and things like that. But I do think if I were to add to your point, what little we have done and know about long COVID um, is just the tip of the iceberg. And I think you're absolutely right. There's going to be a host of new quote data, which gets back to, I think, how we're going to analyze all this information and, and the ways in which we'll pick up this information, I think will be particularly important. Uh, so I fully agree. I hope that um, in 2022, by the end of this, we're not talking about COVID. I genuinely hope that we've moved on and it's endemic, it's, it's, it is what it is. But right now you're right. I think there's a lot of focus on, on this. And, and I can tell you on ortho evidence, anytime we put out a new piece that relates to either long COVID specifically, um, it is, you know, it's high interest to the community. So clearly I think many of our, our, our viewers, listeners are, are thinking the same things that uh, you are, which is, you know, what are the long-term consequences and what are we, are we going to be prepared for them? Yeah. Well, it's been uh, fun talking about these predictions and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you'll see to it that we come back to it at the end of the year and see how, how good we were. At, and I'm sure you also have creative ways to manipulate whatever information come out <laughs> well, so that we're both is, really, really smart. So that's I'm right. I'm going to find ways. I'm confirmed as being really smart by uh, <laughs> your analysis. Well, the best, the best gurus are the ones that actually take two takes. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take another take with you and we'll do a whole bunch of different ones. And eventually one of them is uh, going to work out. And that's the one we're going to put up, put live and say, see, we told you, we told you that was going to work. <laughs> if, if, if you say, if you say, if you say Tampa Bay is going to win and then Tampa yeah. Bay is going to lose, you're right. <laughs> but anyways, anyways, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> yeah.
Well, thanks for a great concept and uh, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. Yeah, bye.